Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. We get together every month and talk about what movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows is that we're high school friends and we have been discussing movies for 15 years. We love talking film and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. Um, so I'm Nick Moffat. I'm here hailing from Seattle, Washington. We also got Sean Bowlby. Hello. He's in Seattle. We got Derek Deal. Hello. Come from Everett and Brandon Bowlby in New York City. Hey guys. So uh, we're hitting. Dis- this is our December episode, and December's the big time where we're starting to get into the award season, and people are starting to put out their top ten uh, movies of the year lists. Uh, I know AV Club put out theirs, and Sight and Sound put out theirs, and so I mean, I think all of us are kind of scrambling, trying to. Um, like catch up on what we might have missed in order to, you know, solidify our end of the year lists. Um, I know I'm trying to hit a hundred movies for the year. That's, that's my personal goal. I'm at 80 right now. Um, do you guys oh, have any, uh, you'll get that. Yeah, no, I think I'll get it, no problem, but you know, that's, you know, that's just, that's just my goal. So, um, Brandon, where, where, what, what are you, what are you trying to do? I'm at 96 right now. And I think, I mean, my last few years have been around 120, which I'm not necessarily aiming for. And I think I have a much easier list remaining than I have the last couple of years of what to watch January and February. So it should be pretty easy to get there. You shared that list with me on Letterboxd last night. I'm shocked about how many of them are just already on Netflix or already on iTunes. Like, I can just stream them any night. It's going to be really easy. Totally. Um, Derek, Sean, do you guys have any... um any like plans or goals for uh the end of the year movies i don't have any goals or anything but uh, i am excited that i've this is my biggest year so far i'm one away from 50 that's really big for me i think last year last year i had 34 movies so and that was my biggest year last year so uh yeah, I'm i'm a little bit behind right now because i was like i was sick for what felt like 10 days straight and then I uh, I was working for like a week straight and then got right into the holiday season so I'm a little bit behind on on a bunch of movies that I want to see but I have a nice long list that I need to catch up on and movies from even earlier in the year that I need to catch up on but I'm actually I'm doing pretty well um, I feel less behind uh, this year than some other years well, yeah, it's always crazy this time of year when just a lot of uh, awards movies don't come out until the end of December or even January. And um, I feel like I feel like not as many big awards movies are coming out this time of year, but um, it still is kind of a scramble to catch up on all the things you might have missed over the year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. We got, we got a lot of great movies to talk about, and uh, I'm eager to get going and get your thoughts on. So first, we're going to start off with the the best of the year update, uh, just kind of catching up on uh, some of the movies we've already talked about, um, but some of us may have missed. So, Brandon, I know you had a movie you wanted to bring up again. Yeah, I believe Derek talked about this on a previous episode, um, but I want to give this movie a shout out because it was just so fun. Um, it's this genre film called Overlord 
which I think it's almost better if you don't watch a trailer for it and you go in blind. Though the advertising campaign, I mean, made sure you kind of knew what it was going to be about. Um, but this movie starts out as a dead serious World War II movie with it just an insane opening, 20 minutes, and then morphs into something else entirely and something a little more stylized and a little more fun by the end. And it, it culminates in one of the most insane, like, final climax shots I've seen in a long time. And it's, it's like, so casual and nonchalant when they, like, whip this, like, camera movement out. And with this, like, kind of medium-budget indie, it's insane what they pulled off with some of the effects in this film. Yeah, so that's, that's Overlord, and that's still in theaters now, yeah? Uh, barely. Trickling out. Barely. Okay. So Overlord, either way, keep your eyes on for Overlord. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see it. It's pretty cool hearing that you guys both loved it so much. Um, I wanted to bring up a movie that is uh, on Hulu. It's a Hulu original movie, uh, Minding the Gap. I know Brandon talked about this uh, a few months ago, but it's, it's a documentary about these three skateboarding kids who they... Uh, it just, it's basically just about their lives and it's not even really about skateboarding. Like skateboarding kind of sets the table, but then it's really about them kind of trying to grow up, but being stuck with their, their pasts and kind of how their, the abuse that they went through sticks around and them trying to transition into adulthood and how hard it can be. Um, it was it was a really great documentary. It had a lot of heart, and it was it was just very raw but very real. Um, I, I I would I would recommend this movie to just about anybody. It's a, it's a really great great documentary. Minding the gap. You guys, Sean, Derek, you guys should watch it. <laughs> so good. End of the year, one of the best docs for sure. There have been a lot of great documentaries this year too. By the way, guys, like yeah. this year is insane with documentaries. You guys haven't seen Won't You Be My Neighbor, really, have you? No. I have yeah, not, that's... no. All right. I'm kind of thinking that's just going to, like, sweep the, like, Golden Globes and Oscars. I don't necessarily – I mean, it's, a, it's great, but there's so much competition. I don't know if it should. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to be my next documentary that I watch. Um, yeah, I watched the Ruth Bader Ginsburg one, and that, that was okay. Um, but, yeah, there are a few other ones that have come out this year that have just been, like, shockingly good. And I know there's another one that we're going to talk about later on. So uh, we'll get to that one when we come up. So now we're going to go into our short reviews. These are movies that are either blockbusters or indies that maybe one or two of us have seen. and uh, But they're worth talking about. Like, all of these are pretty interesting. Um, I'm actually really excited to hear Derek's thoughts on this first one. Derek? Yeah, the first one is Aquaman. James Wan's Aquaman. Um, this movie's been a long time coming. And it's kind of like... I was kind of seeing it as like a big test for DC to see if they kind of have an idea of how to make these movies work. I mean, Wonder Woman was great, but it's like that felt like a one-off when all their other movies were not working at all. I was happy with Aquaman. Uh, it was really fun. It was very colorful. It had some great action. It was. It's hard not to compare it to James Wan's Fast and Furious movies. It it literally like it, it really feels like it has that same tone and same the same kind of humor, you know, where it's kind of cheesy and over the top, 
But um, I've always kind of thought that's what Aquaman is, though, is a really hard premise to take as seriously as Batman or something, you know. And I think that they understand that, that it's especially for an odd, like a, you know, a massive audience to totally buy into that. They decided to kind of build into the, the cheesiness of everything and just embrace it and just let it be what it is. And I think it worked out really well. Um, they stuck to a lot of the source material, as silly as some of it is. And um, they got a lot of characters in there that were all, um, I thought, adapted really well. And yeah, it was just, it was really fun. He does some really creative stuff with the camera. Uh, the CGI in this movie is so good. I, it, just because of what the movie is, I feel like most of it's CGI. But you can't really tell because it's, it just looks so good. I'm assuming, like, you know, them blasting around, flying through the water at, you know, 100 miles an hour. But none of that's, obviously, that's all CGI. That's a lot of the movie. So, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. But uh, some of the land fights and stuff, they just do some really cool long take action through cities and stuff. And it's cool. I liked it a lot. And it was a nice break from... Um, from both the old the other DC movies and then also Marvel, like because it was nice not having to have the weight of the MCU or something equivalent to that on this movie's back. It felt like its own standalone thing. It wasn't really trying to build into any larger mythology, and I thought that worked really well. Well, cool. So it may, you're making it sound like it's it's like a colorful Fast and the Furious movie underwater. Yeah. It pretty much is with with some like Indiana Jones mixed in. Hmm. I like how the Warner Brothers CEO mandated Justice League be under two hours long. <laughs> like made this huge deal about how he's going to shorten all the DC movies, and then just like instantly dropped that. <laughs> like he kept that rule around only for the most important movie in their franchise. Right. <laughs> that should be longer than all the rest. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it is curious what the DCEU is trying to do. I don't I still don't even though you're saying all these great things about it, like it makes me want to see Aquaman, but I still think there's a lot of question marks with what they're trying to do with their, you know, connected universe thing. Just uh there's I I keep hearing rumors about actors and dropping out of out of the franchise and then the the Joker movie is not going to be it's going to be standalone, not relating to the other ones. It just, I, I'm, I'm curious if they even care about, about it being like connected or whatever, which, which could be a benefit for them. It's kind of weird. Cause they like, <clears throat> they jumped into their universe so fast, tr- almost trying to play catch up with Marvel and like really getting into the, the meat of kind of the connected universe. But now I don't know if they're kind of, realizing that that didn't work so well without laying the gra- the groundwork for the movies. Um, and now they're trying to go back and, and kind of start over or, or what, but it's they're They seem to be making some strange decisions that I, m- might actually work and make the, make the kind of universe a little more interesting than kind of where they were originally going. But 
yeah, it's well, it's I'm not sure. It's like they've right switched now. with Marvel too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Marvel, Marvel started out doing their solo movies that were very light and very just blockbustery, and then they eventually connected all of them. And now they're Marvel's that point where they're very serious and mm-hmm. dark, and like that new Avengers trailer was just that was bleak, you know, and and now. DC started out bleak, started out very dark, and now they're the ones that are doing just solo movies that are light and blockbustery. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a benefit for both of them. I think both of them are probably in a good place. So, anyway, let's um, let's move on to the next movie. Um, Brandon, do you have another blockbuster you want to talk about? Yeah. So, big movie that came out this month is Mary Poppins Returns. I believe I was the only one who saw it here. Um, just went on a whim. I didn't really plan on seeing it, but I had nothing to do when I was in Seattle uh, visiting family and just walked to the theater down the street. So this movie, I think the best thing I can say about it is it was not a train wreck and it was not terrible and it so easily could have been. <laughs> Even when you're sitting there watching the movie, just like for what the movie is, I think the first one is a miracle and this just like teeters on the line of possibly being awful, but they hold it together with several like really good sentimental moments. And have you guys seen the original Mary Poppins? Yes. Long, long time okay. ago. Okay. Cause I haven't. And I keep hearing about how, like if that movie came out today or even or whatever, like it's a really strange, crazy concept that is that barely that barely works and is that it almost sounds like that's what you're saying about this one too exactly like this the movie the story is like ridiculous and the reason why the first one worked is because like the music is so good and, and i feel the, like, like the performances are so unique like the, yeah the technology was so new and and interesting at the time I and this like this one the technology isn't new and interesting and the music isn't that special but they just barely hold together. And they go on some like crazy tangents that when you're when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is cool. I get the direction this movie's going. It's fun. And by the end of the movie, you're like, what the fuck did like we just spend 45 minutes on? Like this is like screenwriters 101 mistake level like uh detour that they take. And it's it's a pretty big crime to commit. And they do it a couple times in this movie. But overall, I don't think I don't think it's awful. I think it's like a worthy-ish sequel. So if you're a fan of musicals, go see it. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like many uh, backhanded compliments. In that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a train wreck, so it's good then. <laughs> but so how? So Emily Blunt, she's good. Mary Poppins. Yeah, and the kids and, are the kids are pretty great as well. And uh, the music, the music's good. Uh, the music's. All right, it's easily forgettable, um, but they they have like a few set pieces with the music that make some of the songs very worthwhile. And okay, so you, you're not like and, going home and listening to the music and yeah, no, not know, at all. Years from now, we probably won't have any new songs that are on rotation, that sort of thing. Right, and the the guy like Lin Manuel Miranda, whatever the Hamilton guy's name, um, he gets like this one. I, I hear they helped like write a handful of the songs in here, but he gets this one part where he just like goes off on this like hip hop thing, and it's pretty like amazing. And it's so clear that like this one guy is just a genius at like putting lyrics together. 
Okay. So it's, uh, yeah, a lot of little interesting things. Does it have a chance to win Best Musical Comedy? No, not at all. No. What else is what else is nominated for that? Vice, Green Book, Crazy Rich Asians, and The Favorite. Well, we're gonna be talking about The Favorite in a little bit, but um, yeah, okay, well, cool. Um, so Mary Poppins Returns that's still in theaters now. Um, Brandon, do was or okay don't on see it. it. Yeah, <laughs> do or don't see it. That's uh, put down the poster. <laughs> so Sean, do you have another blockbuster you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I watched Bumblebee. I'm I'm the only one who watched Bumblebee. Bumblebee? Um, Bumblebee. Yeah, Bumblebee, the new Bumblebee. Transformers movie. It's out. Um, it uh, yeah dropped right before Christmas, so no one else got a chance to see it yet. But I believe at least two or all of you are going to go see it soon. So I'm not going to dive too deep into it. I'm just going to pretty much say it's not your normal Transformers movie. It's a uh, it is far and away the best Transformers movie that has been made, and it's uh, it's more along the lines of um, like the Iron Giant or ET. Not necessarily in quality, but in terms of what they were going for <clears throat> with the movie, it's uh, it's a much more serious movie and less of just dumb, pointless action like the other Transformers movies. Um, it's directed by Travis Knight, who. Uh, who did Kubo and the Two Strings, which, as I actually just found out, he's only directed two movies. Those are These are the only two movies in his directorial credits. Uh, so, And I, I absolutely loved Kubo and the Two Strings, so I'm, I'm, it's really interesting, and he's a really promising director. I highly recommend it. Don't judge it on it being a Transformers movie. Um, it actually has some a few very touching scenes. Like you you get choked up several times in this movie, and the action scenes are well put together and are coherent. And the plot makes sense, and the characters arc. And um, yeah, it's like all a real movie. All those things a normal movie should have. Yeah, it's <laughs> like these are all these are all things you have to bring up when talking about the Transformers franchise. <laughs> And so, I mean, I, I'm going to be totally honest, Sean. I know you just got done saying that it's a competent movie and don't judge it because it's a Transformers movie, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm torn. Um, it's a Transformers movie, and I just uh, I just don't know if I have the time to sit yeah. through another Transformers movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that it, it it works for sure outside of being a Transformers movie. It's, it's a good movie. I gave it four stars. Um, it being a uh, a prequel kind of uh, kind of makes it a little more interesting. Like you saying that it's a worthwhile prequel, that puts it in a, a list, a very short list of prequels oh, that right. actually add more to the <laughs> franchise. Yeah, um, it's, it, it's a very it, short list. Is it uh, is it the only movie on the list that is a better prequel than its original? I mean, maybe maybe. I think people would probably argue Godfather Part Two being a prequel to Godfather, half prequel, half sequel, but Annabelle creation. Derek. <laughs> well, I'm definitely gonna see this movie. It looks like it's having a rough time at the box office too. Oh no! And I've heard I've heard a lot oh, of people man. praise um, praise like the the really CGI heavy like action scenes on like Cybertron and stuff like that. Yeah. As like finally like. <laughs> 
like getting the look and feel of what the Transformers movie should feel like. Yeah, for sure. Like correct for the first time. Yeah. And um, yeah, it definitely just sounds awesome and great. I, there's no downside to it from what I can see. Michael Bay's far and far away from this movie, so I'm I'm totally in. Okay, so that's Bumblebee. Sean is giving it massive praise. So see it in theaters. Um, Brandon, we're, uh, we're switching gears a little bit. We're going to talk about some indies. You have a couple indies that you want to talk about. Yeah, so film I saw is called Beautiful Boy, which is a really bad title, but I wish they'd chosen something different. But this is, this is a movie uh, that stars Timothy Chalnier and Steve Carell. Um, and also uh, Amy Ryan, who is from The Office as well with Steve Carell. So that's a kind of a weird throwback from seasons five through seven. Um, she is Holly. Yeah, she's Holly. So it's kind of interesting that they're married in this movie too. Um, okay, so this movie got like mixed reviews and I, I was really looking forward to it before, but then like the trailers were so sappy and the mixed reviews came out. But I did finally go see it and honestly, it's not... It's not as like controversial or mixed as I thought it should be or would be. And the performances really stand out. This guy, like Timothy Chalmier, is so amazing. And like this is gonna be incredible just seeing what he does go forward. Cause he's such a young, like promising actor. Um the the melodrama in this movie definitely worked for me. And I think that's where a lot of people got like got turned off by. But for me, like it really had a purpose and the the script gave the characters, you know, reasons to be like bawling their eyes out in every other scene. And they were going through like tough, hard shit. And it kind of took a unique, like upper class perspective on heroin addiction that was fascinating to watch. And talking to a kid that should be so reasonable about it and try to figure out why he can't just give this substance up. Uh, one weird thing I've also seen other people like point out, and as soon as it starts, it's super strange, is the soundtrack for this film and how loud it is, especially in the first half of the movie. Like I've never, I can't think of too many movies who just fail so hard on distracting songs to pick to put over your drama. Um, so that's one strange choice they made for this film, but overall, I think it's a really unique perspective and, um, should go see it. Yeah. I've, I've been looking for this one. I missed it when it did its theater run out here in Washington, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to when it comes out on streaming sources and stuff. So Brandon, what's your next movie? Next movie is wildlife. Um, this is Paul Dano's directorial debut, um, has Jake Gyllenhaal and Carey Mulligan in it. <clears throat> but also, this movie, mostly even though they're top build, it's a movie about their their kid. Um, but the kid, is, the kid is really great in this film, and he's definitely the standout. I'd say I was maybe slightly disappointed going in. I was hoping this would be one of my like favorite movies of the year with like seeing the trailer and hearing the hype about it from the festivals. Um, I think this is kind of too quiet of a movie for me really to feel much, especially in the like climax when they're trying to make things hit. And I think also the budget kind of got in the way of this film. It was pretty contained 
and they had a story where they could have gone further with the I don't know if you guys seen the trailers, but the like firefighting um, forest fire aspect of this film. And I think they had to probably restrain too much because of the budget. And if they had been able to take the script into those more interesting places, I think it could add a bigger impact. But um, yeah, uh, kind of mixed mixed reviews on how much I like enjoyed it. But it's definitely a super competent, well shot film by Paul Dano, and like good for him on finally directing a movie. Cool. So that movie's Wildlife. Is that on uh, your guys' radars, Sean Derek? Um, it definitely was. I, I uh, not very high up my list of priorities but i was have definitely been interested in it for paul dano it's uh, it's another in a long li- list of uh directorial debuts from especially actors for this year so it's definitely been on my radar okay yeah i i definitely want to see it um it's one of those movies i'm kind of just waiting for it to become available so um that movie's Wildlife. Uh, keep an eye open for it. Um, I wanted to bring up a movie uh, uh, we alluded to earlier. It's another documentary that came out. It's uh, actually available on Netflix right now. It's called Shirkers. And uh, this movie first, um, I think we we first heard of this movie because Sight and Sound put it on their end of the year list, which it, it, that's supposed to be one of the most prestigious end of the year lists in the world. So having this this documentary around there that's already available Are you on doing Netflix. Air quotes while saying that. No, actually, I wasn't, oh, but okay. um, <laughs> because it is, it is supposed to be one of the most prestigious. And I know off air, I was kind of bitching about it a little bit, but you know, they're they they put good movies on there. <laughs> but um, okay, okay. Shirkers though is. It's a documentary um, about this teenager, uh, this group of friends in the early 90s in Singapore, and they um, they just love film. And they're kind of the, their own you know group of friends, and they funded and created a film. And they, they had this American guy as their um, – he was like their teacher and their mentor, and he directed the movie. And they, they kind of all bound together, and they all had different jobs, and they worked really hard on it. And um, – I mean, it was like this really creative movie in Singapore. And then the director, this American guy. I think it's guy, worth saying real quick, in a time and place when Singapore was was kind of on like government lockdown-ish culturally, um, like the cultural revolution hadn't really hit Singapore yet. And people were very more like, I guess, uptight. And these these students were kind of trying to like break free of that. Right. And that's very much present, especially in the first half of this documentary. They totally, like, they alluded to there not being any movies that came out of Singapore, like, ever. There was, like, one or two other movies that took place in Singapore. And so they were kind of like, we're making this movie, and it's like, it was like a rebellious effort making the movie. And it was like this punk rock thing, and it was gonna, they were like, they had these, like, dreams of it being, like, the movie that comes out of Singapore and shows, like, shows the you know, we're creative here and it's going to be like a, 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 like a force, you know? And, and then the, the director, he just, he just vanished. Like after they got done shooting, he just like disappeared with the movie. And like, I wish that that movie had actually come out and gone made. Cause it would have been fantastic. It w- it looked weird and awesome. I don't know. Uh, it was a, it was a really great documentary. Um, I know Brandon, you saw this movie too. 
Yeah, I think it looks like I like this a little bit better than you. I yeah, I was leaning between like four and four and a half stars, but I I feel like the first half of this documentary is like top documentary brilliant. Like I was so on board the way she's like telling her story and editing all this like scrap footage and like old like found stuff from Singapore and from her film like together it was incredibly unique and well done and I think at some point even though the movie's short like I kind of stopped caring about this like asshole and what he did and I kind of just wanted to hear more about like the culture and what this movie like was supposed to be um and so for me like my interest I think it it kind of went in the wrong direction or they focused too much on this one guy um, I felt like they kind of were, they, they played their hand pretty early about yeah, what, yeah. there could have been more like dramatic tension. I felt like with the unfolding of the story, but what really, what really got me was the footage that they eventually found, you know, of, of the movie. And like, it just, it just the, the inspiration that they had and ha- just, it looks so great. Like, so yeah, it's like that documentary um, stories we tell when you have something you like want to say or put together, but you don't really have any direction of how you should show it visually. And what this movie kind of comes up with for especially the first half of the movie is just so creative on what they're what you're actually like seeing visually to go along with the story she's telling. So, yeah, so that, that movie is Shriekers. Um, I really recommend it for all you guys. Uh, it's available on Netflix right now. I didn't realize it was on Netflix. I'm definitely going to watch that. I think it's Shirkers. Shirkers, yeah. Was I calling it Shriekers? Shriekers. It's not, they're not shrieking. It's Anyway, so uh, let's move on. Um, we've got Sean and Brandon. You guys both saw a movie. I think you saw it together while you were out here. Yeah, we saw the movie uh, Green Book, which is uh, directed by Peter Farley. Um, <clears throat> starring the same, Vigo... did, the same guy who did Dumb and Dumber, and there's something about Mary. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, something about Mary, He's Dumb and Dumber, one of the Farley brothers, um, and Green Book, uh, as well as a bunch of other comedies as well. Yeah, I was wondering uh, what happened to those guys. They, uh, he, he just, I don't know if um, his brother did this one. Makes I so much sense. Haven't seen yet, but. It's starring Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. Uh, Mahershala Ali plays a uh, pianist who, a, a famous pianist who, who is traveling around uh, the South in, I believe, the '60s. Yeah, the 1960s, and uh, he hires Viggo Mortensen to be his driver slash um, kind of bodyguard slash maybe kind of fixer guy. Um, just to get him to all of his shows um, and and maybe keep him out of trouble in the South as well. And it's uh, it's a comedy. It's actually nominated for Best Comedy. Um, well, yeah, the guys who directed Dumb and Dumber, obviously. Yeah, right? I know. It's, it's, it's um, honestly the best part of the movie. The comedy yeah, is so sure. smart and mm-hmm. so well acted. Yeah. And it's subtle too. Like you could easily walk out of this thinking it was a dramedy, but then realize you were laughing for most of the movie. Yeah, it's it's really funny. It's um really clever. Viggo Mortensen is surprisingly funny and good and I mean I, I everyone knows he's a really good actor, but you know, it's 
definitely I've never seen him in a comedic role before and his just timing and his uh, understanding of comedy or, or what seems like his understanding of comedy maybe it comes more from um, Peter Farley uh, but yeah I mean it's it's a legitimately funny movie uh, it's one of the hardest I've la- I've laughed uh, at a movie all year okay wait wait a second though so I mean I was joking before obviously by saying dumb and dumber something about Mary, but like you guys are really hammering in the comedy. Is it like, yeah, I mean, it it must have drama too though, right? Like it is a drama, but then you realize you're laughing like every other scene. And And definitely the best part of the movie is the comedy. But you shouldn't go into the movie expecting like, you know, expecting, you know, dick and fart jokes like it's a it's a drama right like it's right. no it's it's definitely not well no it's not dick it's, and fart it's, jokes for sure. it's very it's innocent cut. it's like yeah. um it makes also makes sense of the farley brothers this movie like feels very kind of like 90s old like family Sentimental. film i guess like everything kind of is wrapped up in a nice little bow and it's kind of it's pretty simple the way it like treats its characters and its arcs and that was kind of the thing that, for me, was the most mixed about it. While on the other hand, the comedy was pretty excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I, I've heard mixed things about this movie um, from other other than you guys, but it sounds like you both liked it a lot. It's just really entertaining and wholesome. It's a good family movie. Uh, you definitely bring your mom to, and uh, you oh, the whole family your will mom. have a great time. Yeah, definitely your mom. It's a mom movie. Such a mom movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, let's move on. So that that was Green Book. That's still in theaters now. It got nominated for a bunch of awards. So um, keep an eye open for Green Book. Uh, Brandon, Sean, you guys have another movie you wanted to talk about. Brandon, taking the lead on this one? Yeah. So saw the new Peter Jackson World War One documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old. Uh, this movie is only showing a two-day special and only showing it like two show times per theater. It's like a very strange release. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm guessing because it's some like co-BBC production and they've already released it like on TV in England. So it wasn't supposed to be some big thing. But um, apparently it did crazy good just the two days. Like it made millions of dollars for like four yeah. show times. I tried to I tried to see it um a few days ago or a couple days ago with a friend and we tried to get tickets maybe five days in advance and it was like everything was sold out. Yeah. I had to I saw it on the nineteenth. I had to go all the way out to Queens just to find a theater mm-hmm. that wasn't sold out, which I've never had to do before. Um anyways, but about the actual movie, I think I mean, it sounds a little bit similar to Green Book. I think this movie was pretty was pretty simple. It's a pretty surface level take of World War One. It starts at the very beginning, pre-draft, and ends, um, you know, ends when the soldiers are coming home. And it's an hour and a half long, and it's just like a montage of step by step what happened to the common soldier through that entire process. It doesn't really show you like an all-encompassing like world war. It just kind of shows you a typical like journey that a soldier would go through. Specifically um, a British soldier. Yeah, a British on soldier the Western would go front. Um, so you don't really like learn all that much besides the fact that you're seeing this brand new incredible footage 
like in front of your eyes that you've never seen before. Yeah, the, which is why I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Like it's an amazing experience to see this like on screen. Um, but I was also kind of hoping for a like more, I guess I was hoping for more information or also maybe even more like style or more interesting hmm. storytelling. Yeah. But I still think everybody should see this. Like they should show it in classrooms all over the world. Like this is such a special look at this, you know, 1914 footage. Yeah, I feel like this movie, it was just going for something very, very specific. And, you know, there's, I'm sure there's hundreds of documentaries that you can see about the First World War that explains, you know, how the war started and how the war developed and unfolded and, and why certain countries w- went to war with each other and what was going on around the world um, at the time and how the war affected all these different countries around the world. And you can get into um, so many different aspects of the war with a lot of other documentaries. But I feel like this movie, he was just going for something very specific. It was His goal was to try as much as possible to eliminate the barrier between the soldiers in these, this footage and us today. Like we, you can watch all this old footage, and it 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 all feels very distant, and like it's it's kind of hard to connect with these these people who lived, um, you know, over a hundred years ago uh, now. And it uh, the the whole I think the goal of it was just to get you to see these soldiers as people who lived you know, complex lives in a very different time than we live today, but they're still kids who are going off to war. And um, what were their daily experiences of the war? Um, You know, how did they live their lives? Um, What was it? What were the trenches like? And what, you know, was it, it wasn't all absolute misery throughout the entirety of the war for these soldiers. You know, they they had fun sometimes. They got to laugh sometimes. But also sometimes they were dealing with um, new aspects of war that, that no one had ever dealt with at the time. So I thought for what it was doing, it did a pretty incredible job. At, and, and it really didn't, I don't think... Um, you know, there's nothing really that Peter Jackson, no decisions that Peter Jackson made that, you know, he didn't, wasn't really doing anything in, in a super interesting artistic way. He kind of just let the footage speak for itself. And he also, he only used the audio recordings of living soldiers. Um, I think they were recorded in like the fifties or sixties, a bunch of, I think they, he said 600 hours of interviews with um, British soldiers. Um, And he just let these soldiers tell their own story um, using the footage and kind of um, magazine uh, photos and illustrations from the time. Um, And it felt very authentic and um, honest. And um, it was only an hour and a half. So it was was a very palatable um, movie length. Mm Mm-hmm. I uh I just sorry I just looked up the movie. It looks like <clears throat> Warner Brothers is going to do a theatrical release of the movie in February. Hmm. Okay, so that was They Shall Not Grow Old and um 
sounds like uh, it'll be getting a full theatrical run in February. So keep an eye open for it. So uh, me and Brandon saw another movie uh, that we want to talk about. It's called The Favorite. This is uh, Yorgos Lamos' new movie. He previously did uh, Dogtooth and The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, I thought this was very different from those movies, which were both very existential but comedies. Like, they were funny, but also very, very dark. I thought this movie was really great. Um, you know, I was a big fan of The Lobster and not so much of The Killing of a Sacred Deer, but I would say both of those movies were kind of hard to recommend. Like, you had to recommend them to a certain type of person. Um, I feel like almost anyone could watch The Favorite. It was his most accessible movie by far. It it was very fun in a lot of parts. The pacing was really great. Um, there were a lot of really funny moments, but then there were also a lot of really interesting um, character twists and interwining like motivations. There's a lot. Like I kind of wish we were doing a feature review on this because there's a lot of a lot we could talk about. There's a lot of like intersecting. There's a lot sort going of, on. What was that? There's a lot going on, especially in spoiler territory. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really want to say too much, but it's like there really are a lot of really complicated relationships in this movie. But the movie isn't even that complicated, though. It's like it's easy to follow, and um, you know where each one's coming from. But then, but then the end, you're kind of like, oh, you know, it's kind of like surprising where it goes. And there, there is definitely a discussion to be had about, you know, um, I guess who wins and. Um, and why the characters do what they do and um, that sort of thing. Um, Brandon, what did you think? I, I think Olivia Coleman needs to win everything this year. Like this is one of the movies where just the acting alone is so incredible and impressive. Like that alone would capture you for the whole film. But then on top of it, you have like Yergos Lanthimos's amazing directing the humor i think this is absolutely one of the best like the best comedy of the year yeah like coming from the lobster and the killing of a sacred deer both those movies were so hard on their characters like both of those movies were relentlessly painful and like just 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 tough and yeah the favorite may not have gone as far as as that but like I said, it's his most accessible movie. And I think like to reach a broader audience, maybe it, it, it didn't need to put the characters through much more. I, I, I was pretty captivated by the ending and it's also one of those movies that it, it stuck with me a lot. Like I keep thinking about it and I, I think I gave it four stars on, on Letterboxd, but I, I easily could have given it four and a half. It, I might bump it up. Just, I, I just keep thinking about it. I also loved the style in this movie with like its time period, but also how it didn't necessarily care all that much about representing the time period. Yeah. I think that might've been what I liked about it. You know how I am with period pieces. Like it wasn't, it was was in the 18th century, but it was super playful with what was allowed to be in the 18th century. Yeah. I mean, there was that weird scene where they took out their cell phones and started texting people, but why? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> but you confused me for a second. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> but like, oh, I miss that scene. Um, no, right. I, I'm talking about like you know the dancing scene specifically. Yeah. yeah, totally. That scene was pretty bizarre, but 
yeah, it, it, it didn't necessarily have a timestamp on it. It was just like a vague period piece. Yeah, I, I would recommend this movie for you guys. I mean, I, I'm rooting for it this, uh, this award season. Yeah, this will be in my top ten for sure. Those three actresses all got nominated. If we were doing this podcast tomorrow, I definitely would have seen it today. I just kind of ran out of time. So uh, that's The Favorite. It's still in theaters now. Uh, me and Brandon both highly recommend it. So we're going to move into our feature reviews now where we're going to go in depth on uh, a couple movies. We only picked two for our features. So the first one is uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Real quick, I'm going to read the plot summary of it. Teen Miles Morales becomes Spider-Man of his reality, crossing his path with five counterparts from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. So this movie is animated. You know, it's this, I, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but it, to me, it almost felt like a random, like, oh, there's a Spider-Man anime movie coming out. That's, that's interesting. And, oh, it's going to be in theaters. Oh, uh, I mean, just how, how, how good is this movie going to be? Like, is this like a cash grab? Is this like, you know, Teen Titans go to the movies? Is it like straight for kids? Like, I, I, I didn't really know too much about this movie. And then you know, the buzz started picking up on it and people were saying a lot of big things about it. And I, I don't know, I got really, really excited. And, um, I mean, it turned out to be something incredibly, incredibly special um, and and wonderful. Um, so, I mean, that's that's my first question for you guys. Like, what what makes this movie special? Um, Derek, do you want to start us off? Sure. I think what really makes this movie special is just like the time and care that is put into every single aspect of the movie. I think in my review on Letterboxd, I compared it to Mad Max Fury Road because I feel like just every single part of this movie is top-notch. Like, if we just start basic, the animation, I've never seen a movie animated like this. And it's, like, its visuals are mind-blowingly gorgeous and it's styled in, like, I don't even know what might as well make up a new name for this like style because i've never seen this done before i'm so confused who approved this like what executive (laughs) allowed this to happen i was just looking so what i was almost assuming for a while now is that it was just uh you know i think these studios and and uh these companies make a lot of animated superhero movies that come out pretty regularly but none of them are that big or all that good for a wider audience and so i just kind of assumed that this was another one of those movies that happened to be really good and they thought hey let's just release it and and see if it does really well but i'm looking at this it had a budget of 90 million dollars that's a that's a big investment that needs to be approved and like yeah that's a big chance that that sony took on this movie so I, i think i know a little bit about this actually phil lord and christopher miller have like a three or four movie deal with Sony for animated movies, Hmm. like a three movie animated deal. And this is the first one. And so they have two more movies they have to make, like two more animated family films they have to make for Sony. And so this was the first of them. And I think those guys are just kind of, they've made a really big name for themselves in animated films, especially with cloudy, the chance of meatballs and, the Lego movie, and so now they're this is their movie that they kind of shepherded into Sony through some other directors and stuff. 
And they've shown that with like the Lego Batman movie, like these these niche superhero movies can be successful. Yeah. These animated ones to a wider audience. I felt so bad for Solo while watching this film. I know, right? I was Me just too. like, oh my God, Solo <laughs> could have been so successful and so lucrative for this company if they had let it happen. These guys, I feel these like guys are every time they something goes through them and they didn't even direct that they wrote it they didn't direct it but whatever it is that they do they tend to be like some of the best people at it and i feel like you know whatever it's their creative energy or whatever going into this like i don't know this movie is just something else it's so good and the the like miles morales as a character is done so well in this movie and I don't know, like, I, hopefully Sony wasn't planning on bringing him into, like, their live-action Spider-Man films, because I don't know what they're going to do to try to, mm-hmm. like, top this or live up to this, this like, franchise that they're kind of most likely starting with this movie, I'm guessing, but... Yeah, I say keep going. Keep keep doing animated movies. It's... Yeah. Let's go back real quick to the animation. So, like... I, I don't know about you guys, but this was like some of the best animation I've like ever seen. Ever. Like it it kind of feel it kind of feels like Toy Story. Like when Toy Story came out yeah. in what was that, like ninety five and uh, there had never been an animation style like that before. And if it, it feels like with this movie, it's like it feels like a brand new style. It's like a mixture of all sorts of different things, like 2D on top of 3D, and on top of it's, comic it's books, just, ink cells. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just fantastic. It's uh, I, I'm curious if it's if if other people are going to pick pick up on that and go to, on to a new thing. I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely like um, the most obvious is that it, it uses a lot of word bubbles and and um, sound. I, guess, I don't know what you call them, but like sound effect, um, like when when Miles Morales first does the spy, you know, the web shooting for maybe a frame or two, you see the word thwip, uh, at his, at his wrists, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, or like, he'll just fly across the screen and you'll hear him scream, you know, whoa. And then it, it, like the word, whoa, will follow him across the screen. And like, so it's, it's, the style is very obvious and right up front as far as that comic book style. I feel like there's also a maturity to those word bubbles that you wouldn't expect. It sounds cheesy or it sounds like an obligation to show comic stuff on screen, but the way the movie did it was like so maturely done or tastefully done. I was pretty blown away. Well, it's not being ironic, which I feel like in a lot of cartoon when they do that, they're being ironic. They're like, oh, look, it's a... It's a sound bubble in a movie. It's not ironic, but I would, it's it's ironic. I wouldn't call it mature, though. I mean, there's there's a point where uh, the bagel he like throws a bagel at someone, and it it, it says bagel when it hits someone in the <laughs> face. Like it's it's very silly. Like it's 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 very it's very silly, but it's it's authentic to uh, to what they're trying to do, right? So another thing, like about this movie for me at least, is I I felt like yeah, it's it's Miles Morales's. Uh, intro. It's his origin story, but it also didn't fully feel like an origin story. You know, it. I, I I'm you know I'm a fan of comic book movies, and I I'm also not that interested in the origin. I, it's like okay, we we've seen where these characters come from, or you know that something happens to them and they become you know a superhero, but like this movie, you know, it it shows how he becomes the hero. It 
shows him, uh, you know, become better his abilities and accept his fate. But it also, like, has a greater plot. And it's more focused on uh, the other things that are happening and the other characters and not just, like, not just his 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 origin. And yeah, the story's not necessarily even about his origin. Right. Like, it's almost like that's just kind of happening while this other shit's going on and we just see it from his perspective. So, well, they also did the, they also did a clever intro for all of the, all the other Spider-Man too, that were, it wasn't necessarily an origin for the other ones, but they did like a fair intro for each of them. And yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. That was, yeah, it was it, a very clever way to, to introduce all of them so that we know who they are and where they came from and, and you know, why they're there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't recommend this movie enough, honestly. Like I, I'm like, I gave it four and a half stars, but I really could bump it up to five. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I want to see it again. I, yeah, I have nothing bad to say about the movie. It was pretty much perfect. I, I loved how it just put its faith in in the audience. It didn't need to over-explain anything. It, like, you know, it just it didn't need to tell you who Kingpin is. Even though I don't think has Kingpin even been in any other Spider-Man movies. Um, I guess he was in Daredevil, but yeah, like there he hasn't been in any other movies that I'm aware of. And um, well, and they have like the Green Goblin as like a giant lizard for some reason. Yeah, um, but you know, yeah, yeah, I didn't need to explain any of that. Yeah, they don't it was just to... like this is the this is a superhero movie. It's just get on board. Yeah, yeah, the, God, the like I can't say enough great things about the movie but also like the storytelling in this movie like the uh, god it's just so carefully crafted like it's surprisingly serious and it's also really funny the whole time and i don't even know how they do it but like you know there's all those spider-man all the spider-men and women and pig and they they like imply yeah, it's just it's so carefully crafted that like we get these f- like pretty fleshed out stories from all these characters, and some of them are almost like just implied. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know what I mean, but like it doesn't. There's a big moment in the movie. I'm not gonna spoil anything, but uh, where like you kind of all these stories kind of you you grasp like the depth of every character. It's just like you have to be so freaking smart and like good at your job to be able to do that without having to show it or tell it. I don't even know how they did some of the things they did in this movie. It's just so creative and so brilliant at times. I really liked the um, <clears throat> the look of the main set piece. So what they were showing was like the the particle accelerator, um, like the CERN. Mm-hmm. scientific experiment that they have in France and they like use that as a backdrop even though it was like under New York City. Right. I thought that was such a cool set piece and when it actually like you know goes into full on you know climax mode mm-hmm. the whole the movie got turned into such like an abstract painting uh-huh. of visual imagery like my jaw was on the floor. It was like a Picasso of a of a comic book. But movies. it was like a a street it was like a street art version of of like a Picasso painting. Yeah. So I, I sent you guys, I don't know if you've seen images of it. I just sent you guys a text of like the particle collisions. And 
they were totally just like taking this as a basis and just, you know, going crazy with it. Right. And that was, that's such a great like reference to actual, actual science being used in a very unscientific way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So this movie with its success and everything, it's definitely like this was their setup for a spider verse, like a literal spider verse in the Sony world. Right. Are they doing all three? Uh, I don't know. They haven't really announced another one yet, but they will. Like they're they're definitely gonna make a sequel. Like they're gonna make a they're gonna make more of these. Yeah. So I mean, I want to ask you guys real quick. Like, um, you know, how does it how does it rank with the other Spider Man movies? Um, for you guys, I had a big discussion with someone about whether or not it's the best Spider Man movie ever made, and I definitely think it has a very good case to be. So I. The only contender is Spider-Man 2, right? Right. I so well, yeah, I recently me, watched um so when Stan Lee passed away, I watched Spider-Man 2. I was like, you know, I'm oh, I'm going nice. to, you know, Stan Lee died, I'm going to watch one of his best movies or, you know, he, the best characters, best movies. So I watched Spider-Man 2, which is super fun. And I think Spider-Man 2 is like the closest to being a comic book, like any of these other comic books I've made. Like the action is so silly and bombastic and just like crazy. Um, some of it doesn't hold up, you know, some of the dialogue is kind of bad and like uh, the CGI, especially like really dates it, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, that's, that's 2003 for sure. You know, but, um, but, Overall, like the direction and the the story and the characters is like top notch. Um, I also watched um, I watched Spider Man Homecoming um, right before I went and saw Spider Man to the Spider Verse. Like I watched it like the day before, and um, I love that movie too. Like Spider Man is such a fun character, and I felt like Homecoming really hit that. But yeah, I mean, like I, I don't know. Like I the way I the way I left Spider Man into the Spider Verse, like. It, you know, it, it, it nailed the action. It nailed the characters. It got, it got everything. Like it, it seems to me that it could, it could easily be the best Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Like I, I might say that, um, I, I think I agree with you for Spider-Man too. I, it's, while it's very clever and really, um, some great Sam Raimi visuals going on, I think it, it does kind of suffer and is is probably a little bit dated. The Tom Holland Spider Man Spider Man Homecoming I think is plot wise is probably um, on par with this, but just like the creativity of this movie, I think puts it above and kind of on another level um, from any other superhero movie. Really puts it in its own class of superhero film for me. Yeah, and and another thing is like this movie had such a great cast. Um, and it had like Jake Johnson, crazy cast. yeah, Jake Johnson from new girl as the B Spider-Man or uh, Peter B Parker. Um, Haley Steinfeld was in it. Mahershal Ali's, um, John Mulaney, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas um, Cage. Lily was Tom- such a great surprise. When yeah. He started speaking. So I was like, what? That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all love Spider-Man. Uh, everyone should see it. If you haven't seen it yet, highly recommend it. Um, 4.5 stars all around from the four of us. The movie we want to talk about is is uh, Roma. It's the new Alfonso Cuarón movie. It's uh, a Netflix original, 
but uh, they're doing a limited uh, theatrical run. Um, I think all of us saw it in theaters, but anyone could go on Netflix right now and and see it. Um, Netflix is actually pushing pretty hard for best picture for this one. So I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty much going to get nominated for best picture, but whether or not it wins or not, it, it easily could win. It's it's they're really pushing for it. Um, real quick, I'm going to read the plot summary. Um, a story that chronicles a year in the life of a middle-class family's maid in Mexico City in the early 1970s. So this movie is like, it's kind of filmed like a memoir from Alfonso Cuaron, except it's not his story. It's his, it's his maid's story. So it's, it's the story of this live-in maid and um, how she interacts with her family and the people around Mexico City and um, what her life is like. And it's, it's very real I mean, it's, it's, I think it's objectively a great film. Um, and then I think all of us have our own, our own thoughts and feelings on it. Um, Brandon, do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah. So I feel like Alfonso Cuaron is pretty much all of our, one of our favorite directors. We've all been huge fans of his. I mean, for Children of Men is one of my all time movies for sure. Yeah. Right. And Gravity. And, and yeah. People, people go off on Children of Men. Prisoner of Azkaban. There's this quote that Sight and Sound wrote when they gave this film number one of the year. Um, I think it's pretty funny and interesting. Um, It goes, Roma is the sort of movie that successful pop filmmakers say they'd like to use their clout to make, but almost never do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alfonso Cuaron's directorial path is to get to this point is so crazy kind of just like kept building up. I mean, he started in such a small U2 Mama Tambien place or even before that the, little, the little, the little princess and built up to this like massive, like Hollywood blockbuster, but artistic filmmaker. Very slowly. And too. then, yeah, very slowly taking his time with each movie. And then he pulls like a complete 180 and delivers this passion project, but still on the scale of like an epic, film that he was making before. Um, I, I think this movie is a masterpiece even after the movie ended. And like, I saw this, I saw this a while ago, like a month and a half ago now in New York. And there's just so many, I I called an Epic before there's so many set pieces in this movie as if it's like fast and the furious, like action that I just like pop in my head. And I think back to, of these great like moments and sequences that play out. And they really, to me in my head, just like stack up and culminate. And it's kind of mind boggling that they're all in just this one coherent, relatively quiet film. And to me, this movie is, is very special and it's going to be one of my end of the year top. Yeah. I mean the, the technical achievements alone, I feel like that's what you're saying by Epic is that like, I mean, it's not like the biggest story. It's not like Ben Hur or you know Lawrence of Arabia. It's it's, but the the way he films this movie, like there are some of these shots that are just unbelievable. Like I think there's so many, so many times where I'm just like I was just completely blown away by how how could he have possibly filmed that? that that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Like yeah. Yeah, it's one of those movies where every single shot is like a piece of art in and of itself. It's it's just the feeling of scale, even though it's this intimate drama. Right. 
yeah. Um, Sean, do you want to say any any brief thoughts before getting into it? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to just kind of talk about this movie um, without feeling drawn into like so many different places. Like, there's so much you could say about this movie. Um, and like, probably for me, the most interesting thing that I haven't even really had a chance to work out, um, kind of what it means and what it means to me, uh, is the fact, the relationship, um, between the family and this woman, the, the maid, but it's like, she's a part of the family, but she's also their maid and she's an employee who you know, is at points in the movie worried about being fired or being let go. Um, but like she's, she's loves these kids so much and she's so tender and sweet with these kids. Um, very much like a mother. Yeah. Should we just go spoilers now? Uh, Is that, I I have a hard time talking about this movie without spoilers a little bit, just because Uh my, my opinion is wrapped so much in, um, personal personal experience based on what happens in the movie so um well how about you derek yeah i'm kind of the same so um okay so we're gonna go into spoilers now i'm just gonna say spoilers spoilers uh everyone we're doing spoilers for this movie so um there's there are some big spoilers so you know turn it off now if you don't want to be spoiled just uh go Turn off this episode, go on to Netflix, watch the movie, come back in two hours, and uh, you know we can uh, we can all catch up together. On your cell phone. Um, <laughs> watch it on your cell phone. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> There's, you know, don't watch it on your cell phone, watch it on your TV, but watch it, and then we can catch up with the spoilers. So after this point, we're talking spoilers. I will say thank you. Thank you guys for, like, setting up us going to see it at Cinerama. I'm so glad I didn't watch it at home. Yeah. It was like, yeah, for sure. That was, was so man, incredible. Was that was worth yeah. it. That was, that was something else. Uh, there were, mm-hmm. I know Derek, we talked about this during like, right when we walked out of the theater, but there were, yeah. there were parts where the sound was so good that I was mad because people, I thought people <laughs> were talking around us. Like, I was like, why are people talking during this movie? Like, Oh, they're speaking Spanish. Oh, these are just people on the street in Mexico city talking. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, it's coming two seats from like behind me to the yeah. left. Like stop like, talking. So and the way the camera always does its slow pan really added to the realism of that sound design yeah. because you'd hear people's voices like slowly coming up behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so real quick, um, I thought I, I, th- I think one of the best scenes in the movie was when uh, the, the riot broke out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that scene was so good in that um, they're kind of doing. You could kind of feel that something was going to happen with the protesting, and you know th- she's just kind of going about her business, trying to like buy clothes, and um, and then the you hear a murmuring outside, and the camera like bring brings you across the room and shows this huge brawl that's happening, and. The way they do it, like you can't tell With even really what's happening at hundreds first. Hundreds of people. Yeah, hundreds. Is that all? Is any of that CGI? 
Or is that all just la- like? I would imagine that's I, all. Those were all. I extras. think those are all people. I mean, they showed all the people earlier, and that's the thing. It's like it's, it's so impressive. It's the guy yeah. who knocked her up, and you know that the, you see them training earlier. Those hundreds of people, and then you're like, like it was yeah. like, like I lost my breath. Everything kind of starts clicking together. Yeah, yeah like oh. That's what they're training for. Oh my gosh! And it's brutal. It's so violent. Um, just extremely well done. I mean, I definitely feel like that's the shot that, like, that's technically the most complex shot of the whole movie. And like all the moving pieces that that happen, like, you know, I was blown away by that shot more than any. The final shot of the movie. Maybe it wasn't the final shot, but the the there's a shot at the end too where. I mean, I think we could work our way to this part, but when she goes down to the water, like that shot too is like, you know, I'm pretty sure they like built a a rig that would bring the camera like into the ocean and they probably had a big crane that they uh, pushed. They built a giant platform all the way up the beach and down into the probably, I don't know, 30, 50 feet into the water. Um, while waves are while waves are crashing shot. into them, and also uh-huh. the sun is setting yeah. too, like like the timing of that is <laughs> is it's I, I don't know how someone could pull that off. Like it's it just I don't know. He's a, he Alfonso Cuarón is a master. He is just straight up a master. So um, one of the more I'm doing air quotes like simple shots. <laughs> that's still a masterpiece that always stick stuck in my head was just the one um, in the family holiday in the woods. Mm-hmm. And it starts oh, yeah. so quiet with like the uh, boy in the astronaut outfit. And then the dogs come and everyone runs through the woods, all the children. And it ends showing the whole party and the people shooting guns over the lake. Oh, yeah. Like out of that shot mm-hmm. really stuck in my head as well. So um, uh, basically like the, the big spoiler of this movie is that um, the main character gets gets pregnant pretty early on. After that, seeing the, seeing the department store, she like goes into labor, like her water breaks and um, the baby's, you know, comes out stillborn. So, you know, she, you know, the baby dies and um, it's a very, very intense scene. Um, and so, I mean, I'm speaking from... Per, like this is coming from my opinion, my experiences, you know, but I, and I'm sure Derek can test this too. Like, you know, going through labor with our wives earlier this year, um, it was, it was incredibly intense. Like that was by far the most intense thing I've ever gone through. And I mean, I wasn't even doing the work, you know, I was just there supporting her. But like, so the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, you know, kind of almost reliving that experience because the movie was so real. And so the, the movie is real. And I, I'm, I'm having these flashbacks of, of, of what it's like for me. And it was, it was so tense. And then the baby comes out, you know, stillborn it was it was like the worst case scenario. It was like that was the biggest fear, you know, a father could have or, you know, a parent could have. And it was like it was so, so hard to watch. Like it was like seeing it come out that way. It was like it was it was the worst feeling I've ever had in a movie, like by far, like by far. It was so terrible. And, you know, in it, I, 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 I watched it. But like I wanted to leave. If I hadn't, if I hadn't gone to the Cinerama, if I wasn't there with a group of friends, like I would have probably gone up and walked out. You know, if if I was watching at home, I would have turned it off easily. Like I would have turned it off. I was like, "Fuck you, movie." You know, 
I don't know if you can come back from that. Like, I don't know if you can come back from that because that was so fucking hard to watch. And uh, even talking about it right now, I'm like, I'm borderline getting emotional. Like, it's, it, it was, it was, it was fucking tough. And, you know, I, Phil, hot, Phil was there too with us. And, you know, the movie got over and he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, dude, like, I, I, I don't know about that movie. And he was like, you know, thanks for saying that because I thought it was just me. And I'm like, no, man, like, fucking, that was, that was fucking crazy. Like, that was, it was, it was, it was too much for me. Like, it was, well, I was sitting, I was sitting right next to Phil. I know he pulled his hood over his head during that scene. And I know I like, yeah, I mimic the same feelings you have. Like I, I didn't watch that scene. I knew exactly like once I was, I pretty much was reading the subtitles and I did not want to look, I don't want that imagery in my head, honestly. Like I just don't want to see yeah. it ever. And so uh, it's just not something I, I even in the respect of film, you know, I think it's cool when filmmakers do things that are bold and stuff, but I personally don't ever want that imagery in my head. I don't need to see it. I don't ever want to see it. I don't want that to like come up in my dreams. I don't, I want to stay away from it. So I literally didn't watch what was happening on screen. I was just reading the subtitles during that scene. Um, because yeah, I was kind of the same way. Like I didn't want to get up and walk out, but I is just is a little is too much for me. Like I just I literally couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um. So the, yeah, that that hurts the movie for me. It's hard for me to defend what I thought against your guys's emotions mm-hmm. and your like personal. I don't think we have to. Yeah, it's that. not. It's not like an argument. You know, it's not a defense or anything. You know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like there's. There's nothing really to say to that. Um, I, I, but it, it is strange to me, like, like watching the intro to like Saving Private Ryan and being mad at it, being mad at the movie for it to be too, like, real in showing like the violence of World War II, or being too real in showing the the horror of a stillbirth. See, that's um, my thing. Is I don't think it's the movies. It's that's what's tough. Like I think it. I like. I appreciate when filmmakers do things like that that are bold. I bet there are like World War Two vets that didn't want to relive like the storming of mm, the beach, right, you know. Right. And so, like, I think it's just. I don't think it may. It doesn't make the movie worse as a, as a, as what he wanted to make. I think he, you know, he was still firing on all cylinders i'm sure during that scene but it does make our reception of it worse like i Mm -hmm. it definitely ruined my experience of the movie so there's no way around that i had less fun because of what he did i didn't like it as much because of what he did yeah and i don't know if it's a fair comparison to you know saving pride ryan because like a war film you know you know what you're getting yourself into you know you know that it's going to be um violent and it's almost like out of respect you know, um, to the people in the war, it should, it's, it, it should be realistic. And, um, I just, I, I just don't know, like, part of me is like kind of, you know, what Sean was saying earlier, like, I, I kind of don't know what, I kind of don't know what the point of the movie was a little bit. Like it, you know, it's, it's like, it's a movie about the maid and what she goes through, but like, I don't really, I don't know if it comes back and delivers like, you know, a worthwhile like, you know, if if it's gonna show us this this thing that's so emotional, like 
I don't know if it comes back all the way of, oh yeah, that was, that was worth it, you know? And I mean, I think we could go on talking about the, the, the ending further, you know, she, she goes on that trip with, with the family and she's obviously upset and the kids start, they go out to the beach and two of the kids get caught by the ocean and start like start drowning and she grabs them and, and saves them. And obviously everyone's like super happy that she saves their lives. You know, that she like they're everyone's like, she, you saved us. Like, Oh, we love you. And she, she's emotional. They're emotional. Everyone's like, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a huge moment. Um, you know, but then they, they go back to the house, you know, they go, the vacation's over and they go back to the house, you know, she's still, she's still their maid, you know, she's still like, is just doing laundry and she like, I, I know the movie, like the movie tries to, I mean, I think it successfully like shows that she feels more part of the family. You know, she, uh, uh, I think like they use symbolism really well. The, the first shot of the movie is her cleaning up dog shit in, in the garage and you sh- it shows the reflection of the, of the ground of a puddle of water and an airplane going overhead. And then the final shot is her walking up onto the roof. Um, and I think it's very purposeful showing that in the beginning, she's like, you know, she's on the ground. She's not feeling great. She's cleaning up dog shit. And at the end, she's like, hi, she's going up. She feels more part of the family. She's, she's elevated, but she still is doing laundry. You know, she still is just like a, a maid in their house. And, um, yeah, like that definitely, I mean, for me, I find that so interesting. Like, and, and it, to me, it's a, it's almost like knowing that it's, um, you know, I think it, he, that Alfonso Cuaron said it's 90% based on his memories of, of this woman growing up. And I think maybe it's, it's like, um, him growing up with this woman who in a lot of ways was, he saw as a mother or, or it was a very motherly relationship that he had with her. Um, and then growing up kind of gaining a better understanding of that relationship in the context of of his society and in the context of of his family and her being an employee and really being able to understand what she went through uh, in her life or or having a better more mature understanding of what she went through in her life and I think I don't know if he he necessarily is trying to give any answers or or if he's trying to make a very specific point about that relationship but. I think that's like that the the portrayal of that relationship is just so interesting to me in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of want to go back to that that scene the the hospital scene to kind of give my perspective or or more of a uh, a, a normal perspective or the perspective of someone who didn't just in the last few months go through a childbirth of their first child. Um, yeah, I mean that for me was the best scene and the best shot of the film. I think that the restraint of that shot was showed so much maturity for him. Like he's you know he's known for his big, um, epic, sprawling um, one take shots in his movies, and for this movie to be also you know to be a one one shot one take. It's it shows the isolation of her character, like coming into the 
emergency room and for it to just hold on her in a profile um, while these doctors are running around her and just stuck on on that dynamic between her and her baby as you realize that the baby isn't coming back and how that plays into kind of the the dynamic of the movie like her being alone she doesn't this isn't her family it's not um you know she's an employee of these people who happen to love her and she loves them and the kids love her in a very motherly way but it's just such a fascinating dynamic that the movie portrays and it's i i could talk i think i could talk about that for for long more more time than we have right. here yeah it's definitely the most fascinating part of the movie for me who hasn't like gone through anything like that i appreciate the movie letting me just sit there and feel at least a sliver of that same emotion Mm -hmm. and to be able to put like give me empathy for that situation in a way i've never seen or felt before was really special um yeah i mean i feel like that's what movies are all about too i'd i'd like to talk about kind of the pivotal the pivotal line in the movie at the end um when she mentions she didn't want to have the baby um I don't know if you guys mind me having a quick stab at it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like that, that was, that was kind of there and it kind of took me by surprise and it's in a very strange, like kind of almost staged moment of the film, but like what it means to her character to me kind of told me that even though it's kind of like a despicable thing that normally you wouldn't want someone to say or wouldn't want to hear someone say, but to me it kind of almost meant it gave that character even more strength the fact that even though she felt the same way that her partner did who completely abandoned her and her child she in no way was was going to be willing to do that mm. and she was strong enough to even though she did not want the baby that she knew what she needed to do and she knew the responsibility that she had and so i kind of felt like that even though it's a mixed thing to hear someone say out loud that it kind of reflects even even more that reveal makes her even more stronger strong of a person i completely agree yeah with that. that's interesting yeah. yeah i don't know um i think there's a lot of, of different implications to that final line <laughs> what <laughs> no i mean I, did, I just i think i i had a different take on that but like i think a lot of this movie is like there's different the movie was so there's a lot of different he used symbolism a lot with his move with his shots and i feel like he, he, with that last line there's a lot of different ways to inter- interpret that i'd be interested and, in hearing uh, your way unless you want to move along um i kind of thought that she was you know she i i don't fully believe that she didn't want the baby i think that was like maybe her innermost like like bad thought um like to herself that she she had maybe I I I just can't fully believe that you know a, a a lady who's carrying the baby for so long um just would be like I don't want this you know I think like every every woman wants the baby at some point I think like maybe that was in her head because she had she was worried about her job and she got knocked out by this lunatic but um I think her expressing that was like, 
at the end of the movie, that was her like releasing her um, her bad thought. You know, it was like she had it in her mind and she felt guilty about it. And that was her like letting go of that bad thought and kind of releasing her from some of the guilt that she had. But um, I don't I don't necessarily fully believe that she straight up didn't want it. I think that was just maybe a, th- a thought that she had. I mean, I don't think I think it's it's definitely complex i don't i think like especially the emotion in the scene in that hospital scene like the emotion that we saw from her obviously there was something there there was some there was definitely it wasn't a love reluctance for, but yeah there was a reluctance there was a there was a love for the child that that she thought she was carrying or that she was carrying for so long um and maybe even brennan you know your your take and brennan's take aren't all that different or um, are mutually exclusive. Uh, right, right, right. There was one um, other scene uh, midway through the movie, which I did, I didn't understand it the first time through. And um, Chris, who I saw it with, brought up to me the scene later, which was the the fire sequence. Um, hmm. He told me that he what he saw when people were putting out the fire that the homeowners, the the people partying, were still had their like drinks in their hand that that totally went over my head but now i'm like seeing these little images and i'd like to see that scene again but yeah all the i guess maids and cooks and all the staff of the house were like the ones trying to save the fire and all the adults were just like drunk and partying and not giving a shit they were literally literally putting fires out while the partiers are partying yeah so I don't know if you guys caught that in the moment, but yeah. Yeah, that no, that definitely makes sense. I mean, that that I caught that several times throughout the movie where it was, where the, that kind of classism um, was showing through. But yeah, and that makes a whole lot of sense why that guy was singing a German, I don't know, whatever that was, some <laughs> yeah, kind of German like song. like a glass in his hand yeah, of liquor. Yeah, definitely. It just sucks because this movie is so good, but I straight up don't know how to recommend this to anyone. Like, I don't, like, I don't know how to tell anyone to watch this movie, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know that I can. Like, I don't know who I could recommend it to that wouldn't come out of it being like, why the fuck did you (laughs) tell me to go watch that movie? Right, right. So, I mean, that's, that's... But at the same time, I think it's incredibly well made and it's, you know, a big moment for his career too. I think, like, I'm really excited to see what he does next. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It's like it's like I don't know. It could win Best Picture, but I don't know if people are gonna watch it. You know, it's like wait. So my last co- my last question: Can this get so the Golden Globes nominated for Best Foreign Film? So it's not a Best Picture contender. It right? can be. Yeah. It can no, be? it definitely can be for the Oscars. Oh, yeah. It will be because it was released in American theaters. Is that the yeah something thing? like that? Any any movie can be. Um, yeah, as long as it's released think, once in America. Yeah, I think Oscars do have some sort of caveat that they need to be released in theaters, which is partly why Netflix is really pushing pushing it. But all right, so I think we need to wrap this episode up, though, guys. Uh, it's kind of been a long one. Anyway, uh, where can we find you guys online? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Letterbox at Chicken Tech. You can find me at Letterbox at Beb. Uh, Letterbox uh, Bulbinator. Cool, and I'm I'm on at Mothman23. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.